Hello and welcome to The Advice Show. This is Jack Gilbert, Deputy Editor of NMA. And this is Charles Wormsley, Editor of NMA. Today we're talking about an exciting new citywide project called Fix the Future. And running the project we have two names you might remember from CityWire days. Dan Grote, former NMA editor and chronicler of the demise of Neil Woodford. Thanks for having me on. And Audi Hall, who uh, claims to be CityWire's first employee. I hope my <laughs> claim stands up. I'm very pleased to be here. <laughs> so guys, can you tell us about this exciting new project you're launching? Yeah, I mean, essentially, Fix the Future is about tracking the investments of the world's best fund managers. Um, so CityWire obviously has a database of fund managers um, around the globe. And what we're doing with this project is concentrating on the top 5%. So there's about 500 managers. And we're looking at what they invest in. Um, beyond that, we're looking at those companies uh, in which they hold investments and how they will be affected by some of the major trends that will be affecting the globe and, and stock markets in the coming years. So things like uh, technological change, environmental and climate change, uh, and social and demographic change. And how did you narrow down this list of managers? It's based on performance, essentially. Um, so uh, in a similar way to the way that um, CityWire kind of fund manager ratings work, mm. It analyzes how a fund manager performs, um, but more than that, it looks at how a fund manager performs in relation to the risk that they're taking on. So, you know, you could have a fund manager that's shot the lights out because they've only got two stocks in their funds and they've both done well. Obviously, that's a very risky way to run a fund, so it accounts for that. It's like um, the ARC strategy, Cathy Wood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, as far as I'm aware, Cathy Wood isn't in the uh, <laughs> Fix the Future database. Um, yeah, so we, we look at um, uh, who these top-performing investors are and, and then we look at what they buy. Sounds straightforward. Um, I mean, it is, um, but, but it isn't. Uh, there's a lot of uh, stocks that we have in this, in this database. Um, obviously, if you're looking at um, the investments made by 500 fund managers, um, across all areas of, uh, of stock markets and, and globally, so you know across all the different countries in which they operate, uh, you're dealing with a lot of companies. There's um, just under 8,000 companies that are, that are part of this database. Um, and we're not claiming that we're going to become experts in all 8,000 of those <laughs> and precisely exactly how uh, they will be um, affected or driving um, uh, these changes that uh, we're going to see across uh, across stock markets. Um, the job that we have is um, in looking not just at um, which companies these fund managers are investing in, but uh, which ones they are investing in with particular conviction, um, and which ones of those are positively um, impacting the kind of changes. Uh, that the world is going through. Yeah. So what do you mean by conviction there? Is it just like big holdings or what, talking yeah, about I, a lot? I, I, I think what we're, when, when we're talking about conviction, um, there's been a lot of, lot of work looking at where man fund managers actually make money Yeah. and um, in their portfolios. And one of the really interesting findings, I mean, it sounds kind of intuitive, but at the same time, it's quite amazing, is that really they make money through their largest, most overweight positions. I mean, I'm, I'm being very kind of like broad brush. And then 
they actually lose money more often than not with their smaller positions. So um, when we're looking at conviction, we're looking at these signs that managers are just taking really big bets on stocks. And, um, and also we're looking at how many managers are doing it. Um, and then we're hoping to identify the really great idea from this, you know, this is it's a you know, vast quantity of stocks. We're looking to identify the really great ideas through that. And then also talking to the managers to find out exactly what their motivations are. And um, also we're looking to develop the data so we know, you know, if they've been allocating more of their portfolio to certain positions over time. So we're going to look at trends in terms of that, the actual movement in holdings. And there's also lots of other ways we can an analyze the holding data. So look at more kind of conventional metrics, um, you know, things like momentum and valuation, just to get an idea of what may be really interesting in our database. Mm. So, um, I mean, there are lots of, um, there's a, you know, there's a really data-rich pro project, and um, there are lots of ways, I think, that we can exploit that kind of that intel that we're getting, which no one else has which I think is going to be really um, interesting exciting. I guess the, the, the other thing to add as well is that we'll be paying kind of particular attention to um, those managers that have a kind of sustainability remit mm. in, in the way that they run their funds. Because, um, I mean, it is worth saying that, you know, Fix the Future isn't an ESG project and we're not just focusing on the kind of the managers that have that as, as part of their, their mandate. Um, but as we, you know try and guide the readers towards um, companies that are fixing the future. I think uh, looking at the behavior of those investors um, that have that sort of sustainability bias, that's, that's going to be important too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, th that's interesting because, I mean, on, on ESG, obviously a lot of managers kind of now say it's just part of what they do and it's just, it's just so kind of embedded in across funds and businesses across the board. I mean, why didn't, you, why didn't we launch an ESG-specific title? I think uh, Fix the Future is trying to do something different, really. Um, it's uh, trying to look at companies which are positively impacting, which I think is slightly different mm. to um, you know, what ESG uh, claims, claims to be. Um, and we, you know, we are focused as well on just you know, pure performance. Um, we're not just focused on um, whether they sort of... Um, whether a particular company kind of ticks a number of boxes. Uh, and, you know, the, the other point to make is that, uh, you know, within this kind of vast database of stocks that we've got uh, um, as part of the Fix the Future project, there are companies in there that are negatively impacted by um, some of the trends and, and themes that we've outlined. Um, and it's our job to you know, go through them and guided by our conversations with, with investors, um, you know, to, to, to sort out who benefits and who loses from these. So it's it's not so much an ESG project, it's more um, using these big trends and these themes uh, that um, will affect the world in the, in, in the coming years, using those as a lens through which um, to see all the companies that fund managers invest in. Yeah, no, I, and I, I, I mean, I think also when I was um, having the project kind of explained to me, um, originally I mean I, I, felt, I felt quite glad it wasn't using ESG because I, I think as a kind of framework it's become slightly straitjacketing at the moment um, uh, I mean it's you know it's, it's a very broad way of analyzing risk and I think it's like it's incredible in terms of you know the 
extra insights that it can give. But it's um, when when you get to defining what an ESG investor is, if it's you know, is it done just by whether they have you know, it's a best in class ESG company based on its score, or um, are we looking at kind of momentum in ESG you know ESG scores and how does that actually um, you know impact on valuation and investment performance? I, you know, I, I kind of think. There aren't any easy answers, and I think it, you know what we've seen recently—the kind of backlash we've seen against ESG this year—is the fact that it can be set up as a bit of a straw man, and um, and then and you know people have their own interpretations and you know their own understanding of what it means. Whereas that actually, it's just a helpful um, you know layer to put on you know normal stock analysis is probably the best you know most flexible way to um, interpret it. So, I, I, yeah, I think, I think our project hopefully benefits from having this, this kind of fix the future framework based on megatrends, which um, is kind of slightly broader and allows us more freedom to look at companies. Yeah, and I think Jack touched upon it there, but we've heard a lot of managers say, oh, we've always been doing ESG, and you think, well, maybe, <laughs> but maybe you haven't. And, and maybe actually, you know, looking at it from a positive impact will give you a bit more of a select group, I guess. And... Um, but you, you mentioned megatrends there. Do you think you could e- explain that a bit and what you're sort of looking at there? Well, yeah, so we've got a framework, which, uh, I mean, this was developed um, in the early days of the yeah. project, project before um, Dan and I kind of came on board. Um, and it's based essentially on, it's, you could call it a kind of meta-study of megatrends because um, um, the kind of data bods at CityWire have gone out and they've analysed... Um, several leading frameworks for um, understanding megatrends, and they've come up with um, uh, three different megatrend buckets, if you like. So we've got um, technological change, um, social and demographic change, and then also climate and environmental change are the three megatrends we're looking at. And then inside there, we've got uh, six different themes which we'll be kind of, you know, looking out for. And, um, uh, you know, where that helps in terms of highlighting companies is, um, well, on the one hand, we've got a kind of quantitative side to it, which is that um, all companies are mapped to megatrends based on um, their industry classification, so 145 different industries. um, That, you know, the mapping was done, then it's been tested um, quantitatively, and then, you know, we finally got to this, um, this, uh, you know, where we are now. Um, so that, um, that, that kind of, you know, puts them in the right place. And then we can look at those companies and kind of, you know, say, do, does it stack up? Are these companies actually um, playing to these strengths or, you know, exploiting these kind of themes, which should make, you know, investors a lot of money and um, hopefully make the world a better place in many cases. I mean, you've already started publishing some articles and I think there have been some great ones already. I wondered whether there are any companies in particular you've enjoyed writing about in these first sort of month or so of the project? I mean, uh, you wrote it, Algie, but I was <laughs> looking at it today. Um, but I think the, L- the LVMH um, article, which will be published tomorrow, um, I mean, I found that, found that very interesting in that um, it sort of explores um, the importance of ethical considerations for companies where essentially their brand is their value. And LVMH... Um, so Moe Hennessy, Louis Vuitton, um, uh, essentially a conglomerate of um, lots of luxury brands. All of um, Jack's favourites. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Shopping, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I spend most of my money <laughs> on, on the products. Um, uh, you know, and, and 
uh, intuitively that wouldn't, um, you know, it wouldn't leap out to most people um, yeah. as a fix the future stock. You know, it's it's uh, you know to a large extent, although not not exclusively, uh, the preserve of um, the rich. Um, but I think uh, you know that your article sort of explains why um, it has been making kind of moves towards uh, sustainability and why that's important. Um, not not just as a kind of nice to have, but um, is of critical business importance because when you have a business which is valued essentially on the you know intangible assets like its its brands. Um, anything that uh, negatively impacts on those brands and um, uh, you think of kind of customers' attitudes towards the environment and um, uh, kind of social issues, um, if uh, a company like that is seen as on the wrong side of those concerns, then um, it would have, you know, a very detrimental impact mm -hmm. on its business. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think also just in terms of the companies, some of the most interesting things are the contradictions that, I mean, because I, I, I feel like a lot of people want to have a very clear, you know, black and white, this company's good, that company's bad kind of narrative. And, um, and, and you know, I, I, and, you know, I think you, you look at the way the fund management industry has organised itself and exclusion being a massive part of, um, you know, the, the, you know, system, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, the, um, the sustainable investment world, let's call it. But, um, you know, exclusion, exclusionary strategies are huge. But we're kind of now at a point where everyone's realising this is massively naive. It's kind of, you know, you can be, um, you know, you can do most good sometimes by influencing companies which are, you know, doing the most wrong, you know, things like that. But um, inside all companies, I, you know, there's, there aren't black and white stories. You find, um, you know, controversies, you find, um, you know, aspects of the business which you know may you know maybe don't sit comfortably but then at the same time they can sit light alongside things you know you know really positive things and really positive kind of developments inside you know inside businesses which are making them better yeah um, i mean if we look at a company like tesla we we did a piece um well city why did a piece a couple weeks ago about esg fund managers holding tesla and obviously tesla you know make electric cars they've got a huge positive environmental impact there but then you also look at the fact there's I think 5,000 uh, black employees are suing Tesla because of racial discrimination, alleged racial discrimination in the US and California. So it's really falling on the, on the social aspect of ESG, even though it's massively ticking the E box. You know, so it shows you how complex it can be to judge a company on and those three metrics. You know. Yeah, and where, um, yeah, where, 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 where should one sit? Because I mean, they're, they're, they're contradictions. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's incredibly hard to play them off against each other. Yeah, and um, and Dan, you obviously once upon a time you were the the editor of Anime. You were doing doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> so you you know the IFA community, you know, which were better than we did back in the day. Um, and I guess IFA's clients, a lot of them probably won't be invested in individual stocks. I mean, some of them are. I think advisors don't generally tend to steer away from from advising on individual um, securities in the main. Um, but I mean, just from starting the project, do you think there's kind of any lessons? already that you that, that advisors can take away from from fix the future or that will be able to take away in terms of their investing i mean you know if you just look at the fund managers that we will be writing about we have limited it to um the very best in the world uh, and i guess this is an, an unusual project in though in that 
while CityWire is a, is a global company, um, by and large, um, most of the publications are, you know, concentrated on kind of individual geographies, you know, within the world. Um, whereas we are looking at all fund managers across all the world uh, who so are not just the UK, or the European. No, yeah. no. Um, so obviously there are, you know, there's a, there's a fair contingent of, of UK kind of fund managers in there and um, fund managers that advisors uh, in the UK can can buy. Um, you know, I, I think it will give a window into um, who uh, who the really strong fund managers are and how they are grappling with these um, uh, these issues of um, social, technological, and and, and climate change. Um, and you know, as advisors are dealing with clients where you know that's becoming you know more and more of an issue. I mean, you know, like I joined Cityware in two thousand and seven, and used to write the green page, which was right at the back of NMA. And remember, you know, there was always this sort sort of talk of um, you know clients are really interested in this stuff. Um, back uh, in two thousand and seven. Yeah, and wow, but. You know, it, it certainly wasn't showing through in terms of, uh, you know, the size of the funds. Yeah. Um, you know, this was something where you got the impression that, um, you know, when people were asked about it, they said it was a concern, um, uh, but not enough of a concern for it to, uh, for them to really demand that it's reflected in the investment choices that they got from their advisor. And obviously that's kind of changing. Um, uh, and, you know, this it's just <laughs> so much of a bigger space than it, than it ever was. Um, you know, when I was writing that back page of anime back in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting question of how do you think, how do you think it's changed since then? What do you think the biggest, you know, is there more focus on companies making a positive impact than there was back then? Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, I guess, I guess the real change has been, um, and you kind of touched on it earlier, where you talked about, you know, fund managers saying what ESG has is always been sort mm. of, part of, of, of our process and I think um, you know particularly with sustainability that sort of uh, I guess sort of by osmosis um, becoming a part of um, fund manager processes you know throughout um, you know whichever kind of investment house um, rather than there being this m you know more rigid division between um, green funds what used to be called like SRI funds and then everything else which was you know the vast majority yeah um, I think it has become uh, you know, it's, it's become a, it's become all encompassing now, um, and and it certainly wasn't like that, um, you know, fifteen years ago. I'd say just ju just in uh, just try rewinding back slightly to um, the question about advisors and um, you know the relevance of what we'll be doing writing about companies to their interest in funds, which is. Um, I mean, it kind of slightly sits alongside what Dan said. Is it be, when 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 you talk to fund managers. And you talk to them about stocks. Often, it's the time when they kind of light up, and and I, I think you know you get real insight into um, the funds that you, you're investing in if you understand why the fund why fund managers are buying stocks, what makes them tick. It's kind of you know you see the pro it illustrates the process that underlies it all and which drives returns. And I think hopefully, the work we're going to be doing will be of value in terms of um, allowing people to see. You know what really make fun makes fund managers tick, and especially the fact that we're going to be concentrating or trying to concentrate on them, um, these kind of big significant positions for funds. It'll be the you know the stocks which they really care about, and which kind of really you know define how the rest of the portfolios structured, or at least you know, how the decisions behind it are structured. 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point because we often hear from advisors as well that it's talking about individual stocks as well to their clients is what gets them interested in investing yeah. in the first place. It's kind of, you know, yeah, if you're talking about a, a, a you know, a, a British guilt or some government guilt, <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're sort of quite, but if you're talking about a company that is, you know, doing something different and this is why it's innovative uh, or, or if it, this is why, oh, you might think this is bad, but actually we think this is good because of this. They, they're engaged. They're thinking about their money. They're thinking about their relationship with the advisor in a much stronger way. Absolutely. And I mean, if you look at the, how investment has become popularised, and especially sort of over the last couple of years, um, you know, during lockdown, it's okay. You know, it might be might be meme stocks, it might be GameStop or whatever, but it's it, it's companies that are yeah. sort of um, driving kind of conversations at, at pubs. It's not funds, um, and uh, I think Fix the Future can help in terms of engaging with clients who will have questions about Tesla or uh, AstraZeneca or, or, or whoever. It's actually a really interesting point because we have a, a piece um, written by Nicola Blackburn on my team about this exact topic about, I mean, this is about thematics and thinking things thematically, but um, AJ Bell has recently launched um, its sort of direct-to-consumer app platform. Dodal. And Dodal. But the way they group these ETFs, they call them stuff like, I, I can't remember the exact phrase, but it's like, you know, the, the robots uh, fund or something. And it's just uh, an AI ETF, but they call it something else because mm. it's that kind of, these are the companies, these are the, it's that story thing. Yeah. On a side point, is it is it Doddle or is it Doddle? I, I read it as Doddle. I think it's probably Doddle, isn't <laughs> it? Doddle. It's not Doddle. There's no E in it. <laughs> yeah. Is it a bit of a pun? I guess it's, it's a, yeah, Doddle. it's a Doddle. It's just invest in stocks. No problem. It sounds yeah. American. We'll have to ask AJ Bell that on the yeah. podcast. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, Andy Bell, if I just... <laughs> Massively <laughs> messed up your marketing for your <laughs> brand new brand new platform there. But, um, yeah, and they've got a mascot as well. They have got a mascot. Yeah. Oh, what's the what's the mascot? It's like um, it's some kind of animal. I don't actually know what it is. It's like a red dot, basically. Yeah. Well, we're talking about it though. So yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of just wanted to finish potentially, but asking you, were there any surprises when you were looking at the elite managers? Was there anyone who? you expected to be in there and wasn't? Was there anyone, kind of any kind of interest in like small fund you suddenly thought, oh, wow. I mean, I'd say the big surprise to me is just, you know, well, it's how few of them that I know. Because, oh, really? Because like, we're because looking they're at, global. Or? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, my focus, uh, well, you know, New Model Advisor and Funds Insider after that has, has purely been on the UK market. I had about six weeks in the US, um, but that's certainly not enough time to kind of <laughs> grapple with <laughs> the extent of that um, fund management industry. Um, I think yeah, that's the that's the exciting thing is um, you know for after you know a good few years of being obsessed with uh, Neil Woodford, Nick Train, Terry Smith, um, it's probably quite a healthy thing to uh, <laughs> look at fund managers running funds in other countries. Is the, is the performance much better than in other countries? Is it, or is it just because there's so few, there's just bigger like markets out there? I guess you know I could uh, try and say something that makes it sound like I know the answer to that question, <laughs> but um, I think that's one of the things that we'll be exploring. You're gonna find out this time. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna find out. Have you changed your own portfolio on the back of this? Uh, my own portfolio is um, lamentably neglected, uh, and yeah. I need to uh, make some changes to that. Um, Fairly shortish. I've just had my uh, City Royal kind of pension turned back on again, um, so uh, I need to check what or how I left it. It's like Neil Woodford's uh, equity. Thank you so much for, for joining us, Dan and Algie. 
before before we go, if uh, anyone wants to read your stuff, where can they find it and where can they sign up for anything? Uh, they can find it on the Funds Insider website, on CityWire's New Model Advisor website, on Selector and on Wealth Manager. And uh, there are nice buttons on those website where you can subscribe to the upcoming newsletter. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank <laughs> you.